I want to talk to you this morning about mind-blowing prayer. There's a passage here where we actually see that happening. And uh, let's start reading in Acts 12.1. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Let's stop there for a moment. Remember James and John came before Jesus at one place in the New Testament and said, uh, we want to be at your right hand and your left hand. And he said, can you drink the cup that I drink? And they said, yeah, we can do it. Well, here is James, one of those who's going to be uh, persecuted and died just, just like Jesus did. So it, it's fulfilled here. Killed with a sword. Verse 3, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. And in fact, let's just set the scene here for what we're talking about today. The story, uh, this is the precursor to the story. James is one of the well-known Christians among this, these, these brand new followers of Christ that have just sprung up through Jerusalem. It's the embryonic church. It's the brand new church. James is one of the leaders and they want to squelch it. So they literally take him captive and behead him. They kill him. And then they take Peter. Now if they got one big dog, they got the biggest dog now because Peter was known as the leader of the whole church in Jerusalem. And so they very much intend to kill him. They're going to kill him as well. Herod Agrippa is one mean king, and his dad was uh, the, the one who gave the decree to kill babies at one time, and these are some bad dudes in, in the negative sense. And, and it, it pleased Herod to kill James, it pleased the, the, the Jews that were against Christianity, and so now they're going to kill Peter. So what is the church going to do? They're brand new, and everything seems to be falling apart. It's the worst case scenario. Here's what they would do. They would pray, they would trust God, and they would see a miracle. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, there's so much you want to do to elevate prayer in our lives. You want us to know that when we call upon you, you care, you hear us, and you move by your mighty power. We see it in this story, Lord, and you want us to know that we can see it in our lives. Help us catch it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Mind-blowing prayer. What, what, uh, what do you need? What, what are the components of mind-blowing prayer? Well, the first we see here is the word earnest, earnest prayer. It says in verse 5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly. That word earnest, what's it mean? I mean, remember, if earnest prayer works for them, it'll work for us. So what is earnest prayer? How do we pray like that? Well, it's prayer that is fervent. Some of you will have that translation of, in, in your Bible. It means intently, and it means without ceasing. So we don't give up on it. We, we go hard, and we ask God without ceasing. Often we ask God because or often we won't ask God because we think, well, he, he really doesn't hear me. There's so many people in the world, surely there's more important things than, than I have to share with him that, that I have need for. But here's what he says to you. Cast your cares, it says, upon him because he cares for you. 
God is not human. Jesus is not bound to one conversation. God can hear everything at all times because he's God. He defies the laws of nature. He created nature and the elements here. He's supernatural and he hears you. You have a direct connection to the living God. Sometimes we say, well, it's such an impossible situation that I'm not even gonna bring it up. God's already willed for this to happen. I mean, think about this. James is dead. Peter's there. We can't stop it. Let's just run. That would be the natural thing. Let's just hide. Let's, let's just don't say we're Christians anymore. And we would maybe not even think to pray in that situation because that authority, Herod, is so powerful. The government's so powerful. Listen, there's no power greater than the power of Jesus Christ. All authority is in his hands. So we need to ask. He wants us to ask. I feel like I should tell this story. As a matter of fact, one of my mentors said this week, what happened at this church to get on this property, that story needs to be told from time to time because some people don't know it and the rest of us need to be reminded of the great moving of God among us. When we first decided that we were gonna move to... uh, a piece of property and look for 40 acres to start a, a large Christian high school on and to, to create a place where the church could expand and even grow further, the first thing that the county planner said to me <clears throat> when I asked him if that was possible to get 40 acres and build a large church and a large Christian school, he said this, not even God or the Pope could do that. He said, you'd have to have urban growth property And that property is so expensive, not even God or the Pope could help you do that. And I said in that moment, oh, you shouldn't have said that. (laughs) I think he looked at me and Pastor John and thought, you two certainly aren't going to get it done because you don't look that smart. And he, he was right. But he didn't know that we had this faith and trust in an awesome and mighty God and we weren't working in our own strength and power. As a matter of fact, we weren't leading at all. We were just following. That guy later signed for the permit and was happy to do it down the road. But one of the greatest miracles, there were $12 million that came in during that time. Now this is not a super large church. There's about a thousand who would attend here on a weekend. Probably a couple thousand would call this their home in the area. But, but, but we, we don't have the means to, to come up with $12 million. That's a lot of money. And I remember that some of you sold your cars and you sold houses and move to smaller houses, and there's been so much sacrifice for us to be here today, for that Christian high school to exist, and to see all the miracles that God has done, it's because of your sacrifice and your faith. But today I want to emphasize one of the miracles that happened then that you may not know about. We, we bought this 40 acres with the hope that we could get it to come into the urban growth boundary. It wasn't in the urban growth boundary. We bought it for $50,000 an acre, uh, and, and still $2 million, right? That's a good chunk of change. But urban growth boundary at the time was $400,000 an acre. So we bought the 50 right outside. As a matter of fact, the city boundaries for Tualatin are across Norwood, the, the side street here. The other side was the city limits. This was outside the city limits. And the city had pretty much told us that they weren't going to bring it into the urban growth boundary. But we believed God. And we prayed, as, and, and I remember the permits, were, there, there were so many of them that we had to pull to, to get this to happen. Uh, I, I would say predominantly in, in um, probably the whole West Coast, um, the government and, and, and 
provinces and, and cities don't like large churches or large Christian schools to rise up because that's property that could be taxed and we're not taxed on, on property uh, according to government. So they don't like to see it. They want to keep it smaller if they can and they, they would say, well, have more of them but keep them smaller and, and, uh, or have less of them and keep them smaller. It might be really what some want. Um, but, but so we had, we, had to, we had to get what they were saying to do and then we'd put it back on their desk in three days and wait for six months and then it would be a hundred more thousand dollars for something and, and they were just kind of in control. But we were being nice, doing everything we could. We kept marching. But, but I know along the way, at least five or six times, we felt this thing was stopped. And every time we felt that way, every time someone said it can't go any further, we would call the church to prayer. We do it on a Sunday morning. We come out on the property a few times and we gather together and we pray. When ODOT said to us, and they said this to Pastor John, same words, I don't know why they kept choosing this words, not even God could get you two entrances on this piece of property. They, they must not know God because they don't know what God can do. And, and every time we heard it, we pretty much felt, well, that means it's going to happen if they're saying God can't do it. Because he, he just wants to show his mighty hand. We can't do it, but God can do it. And the greatest miracle that happened, those permits, the Lord would just change things, is, is we, we tried several different ways to bring this into the urban growth boundary. We thought we had some brilliant strategies that the Lord gave us, and as it turned out, none of them worked. And we're just two weeks from deadlines where things had to be moving, and it would really stop things and slow things down. It might stop it for good if we didn't get the overall uh, permit for this to come into the urban growth boundary, the, the land use designation of, of, of urban growth property. That's what you can build on. You can't build on farmland, uh, that size building. And just when we thought uh, there was no hope, and I'm telling you, it was a roller coaster for me and this church, probably more for me as a leader, to just, you know, a million given. Yeah, celebrate, awesome. Next day, $2 million more to build the building. I mean, that's the kind of thing that would happen. It was just a roller coaster, and you just had to hang in there and pray. But we came together and we prayed. It looks like it's dead. We can't get the land transferred to urban growth boundary. And the church gathered out here, just hundreds of us, and we prayed. I'm talking about prayer this morning. And unbelievably, here's what happened just a few days later. It came out in the paper. We weren't tracking it. We didn't know about it. Luba, the Land Use Board of Appeals, that's Luba, had had a, 40, a 30 to 40 year study, close to 40 years, where they were looking at 400,000 acres throughout Portland to bring into the urban growth boundary. They had decided of those 400,000 after a 40 year study, and only the government can do a 40 year study, right? <laughs> that they would bring 400 acres into the urban growth boundary. We knew nothing about this. And of those 400 acres that they decided to bring in, 40 of them were this acreage that we're on today. Did you know God starts the answers to your prayers way back sometimes when you don't even know what's going on? And why did he let it hit on that day? He just wanted to show us who builds the church. What's the Bible say? Jesus is the one who builds the church. And, and unbelievably, we're able to celebrate after the prayer that he was doing it. He was on the throne. He was in authority, that he had more power than any other, though they think they have power. Herod thought he had power here. He kills one. He thinks he's going to kill Peter, but he doesn't get to because God allows some things for his purposes, but then at times he'll move miraculously to show his purposes as well. 
Here's what it says in Matthew 7. And I want you to think of your situation this morning. Now, I, I believe that stories like my personal stories and the story of this, this church and the history of what God's done here and what he's bringing forth, God would use those stories and the testimonies of others to, to encourage you to know that whatever your struggle is, whatever your trial is, whatever you've been, been longing for, that vision that God's given you that hasn't come about, that loved one that doesn't know Jesus, that if you will be an, a person who prays earnestly, fervently, without ceasing and stay on it, you can trust that God's mighty hand is going to move in some way because he's good and loving. Second thought this morning. Well, let me read this. Matthew 7, keep on asking. This is for you now in your situation. And you receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. That's fervent, fervent and earnest and without ceasing. You can feel it in there. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks find, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Second thought. This mind-blowing prayer believes that God hears and is going to move. It's called faith. I believe in God, I believe that he hears me, and I believe that he's gonna move on my behalf. Now, before, before you start to think you can just say whatever and God will do it, I don't think prayer is about making God do what you think should be done. I think prayer is about unleashing the mighty thing that God wants to do. And sometimes, just remember, it's one of two things. Either he'll do something miraculous right now for deliverance, or he'll have some purpose for a trial, but if he doesn't deliver you and heal you, <clears throat> he'll walk you through the fire and he'll be with you. I like that passage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where it says the three are in there, they're in the fire, but they're not being burned, only their ropes, isn't that cool? Only the ropes, the things that bound them, were burned. And then, the, then it said this, there's a fourth in the fire with them, and it looks like the Son of God. Well, I can promise you that if you're going through a trial, and he's allowing it, he has some purpose for his glory. And so when you pray, you pray for the miracle. When you pray, you pray for his will, knowing that he's up to something good. Knowing that it might, for me, this is, knowing that it might include some sacrifice or taking up the cross, but knowing that it's a kingdom advancing thing and whatever he's, he's for, I'm for. Let's, let's do it his way. And prayer unleashes the will of God for healing the miraculous and the testimonies that would happen among us. It believes God hears and is going to move. Here's what it says in James 5.16. Here's that word again, earnest. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There's not a lot of stock put in purity these days, and that's what a righteous life is, someone who lives right before the Lord. God has moral boundaries. God has, um, as some would call them, rules. I, I don't like to call them that. I like to call them he has a plan for our life. He has guidelines. And when we live within his plan, there's safety and blessing there. You know, impurity, even for an electrical uh, connection and that power there, you get something in between um, the, the source of power and the line that's coming in and the flow of power won't happen. And I just want to tell you that, that these things of purity that, that uh, well, let me just mention some specific things. Pornography, uh, uh, um, drugs, uh, abuse of alcohol. These things get in the way of our prayers. 
and many, many, many more. And I don't know what you're going through in your life, but I do know that the Lord would convict me of t- at times of things that he'd like to see me change. And, and if I follow him and I, and I grow in him, then, then this prayer life is even more powerful. The prayer of a righteous person has wonderful, produces wonderful results. And so I think we should, when Jesus says, uh, the pure in heart will see God, I don't think that's talking about just heaven. I think there are results that are unleashed in a greater way. And doesn't it make sense when you see a, a, a great woman of God who loves him and is walking and talking with him and, and, and following in obedience that, that, that that's where he would unleash something really special with wonderful results as you seek him. I mean, otherwise, if, if we don't have this heart to be righteous, what we're saying is, you do for me what I want, but I don't want to do what you want. You just do what I want, Okay. And God would say, listen, I I only give you these guidelines to bless you, to keep you in a safe place. And when you walk there, you see more more wonderful results. And that's being lost in our culture somehow. We think we can live any way we want and everything's just the same for everybody. Not true. It's the righteous person when they pray that sees wonderful results. And and so you say, well, I'm, I'm not righteous. And in a sense, the Bible says there's not one righteous. No, not one. There's an imputed righteousness. But it's talking about a life that's lived towards him a life that wants to follow him, a a heart that listens and grows in him. It's not talking about perfection, but but it's this heart that has ready obedience to follow God and a heart for purity, and he moves there. So here we have people like that in this passage. Let's look at Acts 12, 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial. So here he is. The trial's a farce. They're gonna kill him too. He was asleep, fashioned with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. And suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. Now let's talk about this for a moment. He's in a pretty rough situation. He's gonna die. There's 16 soldiers, it said earlier in the passage, that are watching him four at a time. Two stand at the cell gate or, or, uh, you know, the door to, to, to guard it when it's locked, and two soldiers are inside chained to Peter. Peter's chained to them. This guy's not going to get away because in those days, the rule would be if you let the prisoner loose, you would die. As a matter of fact, Peter's going to get loose, and these, these, all 16 of these guards will be killed according to Herod's decree, not God's, but Herod's, because Peter gets out. So they're, they're going to make sure this guy doesn't get away, right? They're chained to him. And Peter, in the midst of all this, knowing that he's probably going to die, is sleeping. Not only sleeping, he's sleeping deep. The angel has to hit him to get him to wake up. Why is he asleep? How can you have enough peace in that situation to be asleep? Well, this guy had been in jail three times before and got out. So he kind of had this thing in his head that they think they're in power, but I know they're not. They think they can bind me, but I know they can't. I don't know what this is about, but I trust God and believe in him for good things. And <clears throat> there's another time in the, in the New Testament where, where uh, he's talking to Peter. Jesus is talking to Peter, and, and he asks him a question, and, and Jesus prophesies, when you're old, when you're young, you dressed yourself and you walked where you wanted to, Jesus said, but when you're old, someone else will dress you and you'll be led. And he was talking about him being in prison someday. But the word old was in there, and Peter was young in this passage. So I think one of the reasons he's asleep is because Jesus told him he'd be an old man someday. So he knew he wasn't going to die here. Everybody else thought he was going to die, but he was trusting. 
and, and believing God. And, and here's what it says. Um, they're standing guard, in, we saw in verse 7. And, and the angel comes, and it, it says, they, it struck him on the side and said, uh, side to awaken him, and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Did you know that when you pray this earnest prayer we're talking about, that chains fall off? Addictions fall away. Not only yours, but the people you're praying for. Relationships where there seems to be no way and there's a bondage in there somehow that there's a division. Prayer can change things even there. And we're so geared to working it out ourselves. We're so geared to, to try to take the guidelines of the scripture and just live within them. And, and you know what? That's a good thought, but it's not the best thought. You need a power source to, 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 to get help to live this way. Yes, he's a God of grace who will forgive, but he's a God of grace who enables us too with power to overcome not only sin, but obstacles in life. The chains fell off, and your chains will fall off as you pray too. The chains of others will fall off as we pray. And then the angel told him, this is Peter now, get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. And the angel ordered, so, so Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. Now for us today, we have sensors and electrical and all that, and that's not a big deal. You know, you go to Safeway and everything opens for you, right? This door's open. And this is amazing in these days. They don't have this technology. You come to a gate and it just goes open. Well, I'll tell you, prayer will open doors that you thought were completely shut where there was no way to get out. Maybe you're thinking right now of something that you just can't see. Any, you can't believe that anything would really happen to turn it around. Those are the doors he opens. Those are the chains that he takes off when we pray and follow him with our hearts. So they passed through and they started down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent an angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. Let me just stop and uh, talk about that authority source for just a moment. Uh, Herod Agrippa, the one who had just beheaded uh, one of the saints of God, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, really thought he had all power. If you read the rest, rest of Acts 12, and I only want to touch on it this morning, but I want you to know where the real source of power is, and we need to remember this, because we look at the government and we say, oh, look at everything's falling apart. Look, God is in control of everything. As a matter of fact, he is, he's, the, the word of God prophesies that it'll all come to an end someday. And we may be in the end times and we may, we, we may be right smack dab in the middle of God's will right now in America. If he's bringing things to an end, something's gonna happen that's very different than what we've known. The rapture's gonna take place at some day. The saints are gonna be caught away. Everything that's in the Bible is gonna happen. The devil's not in control. He's just not. And so we pray, not my will, but thy will be done. And I like what one preacher said. He called it the glorious darkness. When darkness starts to come in the end times and it's only, the, it's only preceding the great light that's gonna fall when Jesus sets his foot on Mount Olivet and takes over 
for everything. And he's the real source of power. Everything's in his hands. Herod thinks he's got everything in his hands and he can do what he wants. He can kill who he wants. He can, he can sleep with who he wants. He can misabuse or, or abuse anyone he wants. But in, but, in, but in the 12th chapter, at the end of this chapter, he's riding through a city and he really has them under control as well and he's manipulative in that city. But when he comes through because of who he is and they don't want to get hurt and, and mistreated, they start to say this, you're not a king, you're a god. Whoa. And the Bible says that God smote him, that he was smitten with worms, and he died. Now it almost looks like I tried to look at it, almost looked like he dies in that moment. Said, I don't think I don't think worms could eat you that fast, but maybe it was a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of thing where it all happened really fast. You know, they do it with the special effects. I don't know, but but God, but God did it. God smote him because he took the glory that only God deserves for himself. That's what the passage says. And so here's a guy who thinks he's in control. He's going to kill Peter. Peter's not going to die, but he is. And we need to remember that the one true authority in, in, in all of this world is Jesus Christ. It's God the Father. It's the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one. And, and that's where the power is. Peter knows nothing can happen to him beyond what the Lord wills. Here it is again, 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Here's that. That's the obedient with pure heart. On the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I want to tell you a story where someone had faith and belief for something. I just saw it this week. I am, uh, most of you don't know this, but I'm um, a general presbyter for the Oregon Network uh, of the Assemblies of God. There's about 200 uh, churches, just shy of 200, in Oregon that are Assemblies of God churches. I have been elected by my peers, there's about 600 pastors in Oregon, to serve on a volunteer basis to be part of a governing body for moves that we make in our network in Oregon. So I go six times a year, mostly in a consulting and voting way uh, with this, this constituency. And, and this weekend, we're all together. I'm, I'm setting up the story so you know how this happened. We're all together in Central Oregon. And um, for one of the things we did, we met together and we went over the word and we did some praying together there. And <clears throat> we, we were just knitting our hearts together as we want to see his kingdom come and his will be done. And that's, that's not just here, that's everywhere, right? And that's what, that's what that group is interested in all across Oregon. And, and, but one of the things we did as an exercise is we went out to a brand new church that sprung up, just two years old, between Bend and, and Redmond out in the country in Central Oregon. That's where we were having this retreat. And, and there's no city out there, just ranchers and beautiful scenery. And what's happened is there's a, there was a young couple uh, two years ago who came to Oregon and they said they wanted to start a cowboy church. Pastor Jerry's a drugstore cowboy, but these guys are real cowboys. And, and, and Jerry said, hey, I was bucked off a bull and hurt my leg. Isn't, doesn't that make me a cowboy? I said, okay, you can be a cowboy. Um, but these guys are real cowboys, and they're ranchers out there. And, you know, there's a bunch of world champions. I didn't even know it. I found it out this week. A bunch of world champion rodeo guys in Ben Redmond, Prineville, Madras, all that area. And this young man wasn't even 30 years old when he started. And has, they're, they're just a beautiful couple on the inside and the outside. They love Jesus. And they came to Oregon because 
His dad started a church, a cowboy church in Dallas, Texas, that area, where over a thousand people attend today. Just, they come in with their big hats and boots, you know, and, but they're real cowboys. And, and his uncle started a church, I, I don't remember where it was, but it's almost 3,000 people. So he's seen a model where this will work. And he wants to come to Oregon, and at first everybody's going, well, good luck with that, partner, you know? <laughs> that works out for you, cowboy. And, and <clears throat> so he starts out there with just a vision and no money, believing that God's called him. He doesn't even have the funds to feed his children when he goes, but he goes because he thinks God's called him. And he's trusting God will even feed his children. Two years later on Easter, they had a thousand people attending that church in tents, not in tents, but in tents, you know, the structure. And we were there, they were building a church and it, and, and it was still too small for them but it was so exciting to them and to others. All these people had gathered, nearly 500 a week are gathering on a regular basis now, still growing. They had bought 56 acres, they're building an arena, they have 100 head of cattle. It's a working ranch. Their vision is to teach people to rodeo and teach people to do these things and it's happened at these other churches and not only are there people gathering but the, all these world champion rodeo people start coming to the church. He got big belt buckles, man, looks. <laughs> I would never wear one of those unless I was in a, a firefight somewhere and needed armor, you know, that, that, sort, of, <clears throat> that sort of thing. But these, they won these. They, they didn't get them at a garage sale, you know. <laughs> and we came into the building as, and our wives, all these, I don't like the word, the word's presbyter, it's like presbyter, you know, but but that's what they call us, presbyters. And we're all in there and we're encouraging this young man. We start to pray for him. We gather around. There's about 30 people gathered around and praying. And this beautiful young couple, uh, I'm, I'm standing behind them and I can barely reach in because everybody's around doing the same. But I notice drops and tears hitting the, the cement below their feet on both sides where the husband and the wife are. The couple that said, we believe God's called us and we're gonna, we're just, we're gonna do this. We're praying, we don't see anything, but we're believing and we're following his call. Their tears were, were puddling on the floor there. And then we walked outside and they showed us, this is gonna be our children's area, but we can't do that right now. We don't have enough money. They're gonna be in the tent out here still, the children are. Well, the tent in central Oregon, it gets cold out there. So... Pastor Bill Wilson, the superintendent for the Oregon Network of Churches, and who preached here for the first four weeks of summer when I was gone, he said, how much would it cost to build that children's portion? And they said, well, 75000 but we don't have it now, but we're going to, you know, we're going to get that later. And Bill talked for a little bit, and then he called all the presbyters together. And you have to have a vote on these things, because there's funds for missions that people gave that have to be appropriated in a proper way. Uh, and he said, I, he called us aside from the couple and said, I feel like we're supposed to Help them. I'd like to help them with $50,000 from this fund and tell them if they'll raise twenty we we'll give fifty. And then we took a vote, not even any prayer, because we'd been praying inside already and we felt the spirit of it. And he said, are you okay with that? I got a first, I got a, I got a, you know, someone seconds that. And we all voted, I, and he goes back and he tells this young couple, hey, uh, boy, you've just done so much already and you believe God for so much. We're, we're, if you go raise twenty we we're gonna give 50000 so you can so you can finish your children's center. And immediately they just started crying. 
it was above and beyond what they believed for in those moments that something could have that happen that fast. And it was affirmation from people saying, we see you doing God's work. We see that it's going great. We see that you believe that you've had faith. But I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't just some kind hearts. It was God moving on the hearts of leaders to say, this is what I want to do for my people. And when it's your story, when it's your situation, he feels the same way about you. When you're moving towards him, when you love him, when you want to follow him and you ask him something, he'll just bring something into play. And if you're not careful, you say, aren't those the nicest people in the world when really it was God coming to you to help with deliverance and and, and overcoming in your situation? These guys had prayed and believed. And when we pray and believe, we'll see those mighty miracles as well. Matthew 7, 9 says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You're his child. He loves you. You may not need money, but you need help. You have a loved one who doesn't know him. You have a situation that can't be overcome unless the supernatural happens. And God says, hey, you're my child. My eyes and my ears are open to you. And he says, ask and I'll give you good gifts. Third thought this morning. This mind-blowing prayer experiences results beyond what we can ever imagine. And we see it in this passage. It says this, when he realized this, that he's... It wasn't a dream, it wasn't a vision, it actually happened, the gate opened and he was free. And it says, when Peter realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So they had, remember it said in the, early in the passage that the, that the saints were praying. Now they're having, now listen to this, we're starting small groups tonight. They're in a house, I don't know how many gathered, I don't know if it's 15, 20, or 40. How many can you get in a house? But they're all in there intensely praying and it's late at night, so they've been praying for a long time. They're, they're giving some serious, some earnest prayer. They're believing God to help their leader, uh, their servant leader, Peter of the church. And it says this, that, that, that there were many gathered for prayer there. Verse 13, he knocked at the door and the gate. This is Peter. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. So it's just, a, just probably a teenage, I mean, girl means young. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone. This is comedy right here in the Bible where, where she gets so excited, she leaves the guy who's just escaped from prison standing out in the open. And she goes back and here's, here's what she, <clears throat> she says uh, to, to these guys. Uh, she runs, runs back inside and says to everyone, Peter is standing at the door. <clears throat> and they say to her, you are out of your mind. That's why I've called this sermon mind-blowing prayer. Here they are, and we're like this sometimes. We're believing God for a miracle, but the miracle is so much greater when it happens that we can't even believe how great it is. You're out of your mind. And when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Now, I get the idea that they're all a little bit afraid because I want you to notice the the pronoun they. 
They were moving in a group together here as if they're huddled saying, well, let's all, let's go together to check this out. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a, it's a trick or, but, but uh, it, it must be an angel. And Peter continued knocking when they finally opened the door. So here they are moving. They, not one, one went back. They opened the door and saw him. They were amazed. He motioned for them to quieten down and told them, the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the others what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. Wow. They couldn't even believe what they were praying for was happening in that moment. And yet they had enough faith to see it to happen. That grain of a mustard seed of faith is all God needs to move on our behalf. Ephesians 3.20 says this. I don't know how tough your situation is, I don't know how deep the depression might be. I don't know how, how high that mountain of, of payment and bills might be. But here's what God says. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You can think of a lot that would be good, but he can do infinitely more. This was just way beyond what they believed for Not only was he free, he was standing at their door just so God could say, hey, good job, your prayers, I heard them, and he's been released, and your prayers made a difference. Verse 21 says, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. It's good to know that no matter how difficult that trial, how disappointing the news, he's still on the throne, and everything is under his control, and when we pray, he hears us. I um, spoke recently about <clears throat> some trials that we went through uh, in this, this past year. Really, it's all happened in the last nine months. And I talked about my daughter's Graves' disease and, and the surgeries that she's gone through and, and the difficulty with that. Uh, but but I, I didn't tell you much. I want to emphasize prayer here today, but I want to talk about what, what I've been going through a little bit. And uh, it was interesting that Candace and I had our surgeries around the same time. As a matter of fact, at one point, we were home uh, together, just the two of us, with numb upper right lips from our surgeries. I don't even know what that means, but, but it was interesting. <clears throat> and um, I remember the two of us being home together at Christmas while the rest of the family went to be with other family. And uh, we, we just went through a hard season this year. Uh, honestly, initially, I was so concerned about Candace and those surgeries on her eyes and, 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 and really close to depression as a young lady and, and, and everything she was going through, just it, the years were stacking up and the surgeries were stacking up and it was hard. But I'm proud of her because she trusted God. She didn't get it. That's the way it goes sometimes. We don't get it, but it all works out if we trust God. And... Uh, <clears throat> But I'm having, you know, the surgery, what happened, guys, is I, I got basal cell cancer uh, on, on my lip, my, my upper right lip here. And um, I was on the table for surgery for 11 hours that day, most surgery. They dug seven times and tested it, and it kept going wider and wider. And I had basal cell cancer, a little, about the size of a quarter, a little oblong, but just above my lip here, all underneath where it couldn't be seen. And as they're cutting on my lip more and more that day, uh, I'm getting a little sadder and a little sadder. I don't really get what's going on. And then they do a flap surgery. They cut me from the top of my nose because there's a hole in my lip, right? So it's going to be ghastly if they don't do something. So they, 
they cut to the bottom of, from the top of my bottom of my nose to the top of my lip, across my lip, and down on my chin here. So it's kind of that shape. And and then they take the skin and they peel it back and they stretch it over because you can't do a graft in this area. And they fastened it down. And then not only that, there's this word called necrosis. But when it started happening, they they had put some of my lip together because they had to cut deep into my lip, and a portion of my lip died. And honestly, I'm so focused on Candace in this season, I'm not looking to my own things. And I found that out later that I probably should have, you know, thought about this a little bit more and I hadn't processed it. Six weeks ago, I was on sabbatical. I got a second surgery, a revision surgery. And basal cell can- cancer, it's, all cancer's bad, but it's, it's the best kind of cancer to have. And there was never any life-threatening stuff that was going on, but, but just cosmetic. And you've heard me say, I know I'm 54 and getting uglier every day, but, but the point is, you know, hey, let's do the natural thing. You know, let it go slow. And it was happening fast. And I told the doctor, uh, um, you know, I've had people tell me they'd like to rearrange my face before, but you're the first person that actually has. And <clears throat> so now I've got this, this second surgery, and while we were going through this in the midst of it, we felt under attack from the enemy. But the weird thing is, we, I told people, we feel under attack, but we also feel under his wings. We're praying for healing, but somehow, though it wasn't coming, we knew he had us. Does that make sense? And we're a people that believe in God's healing, but we, we believe in God's will even more than his healing because you can get healed in a moment. It's not necessarily what's needed for his kingdom's sake. That may not make sense. I don't have enough time to explain all that, but we were just trusting him. And um, when we were going through the the midst of it, uh, Candace Candace would say, Dad, I don't want to talk about it. I don't really want people to know about it. That's why you didn't hear about it until it's resolved. And I just want to trust God. And it didn't seem appropriate to talk about it too much. There's lots of stuff going on. We're in 40 days of prayer and fasting when this is all hitting, right? And, um, but someone in the church was moved and, and, and some close to us knew exactly what was going on. And they said, can, they asked for permission to gather in the evenings and pray for our family. First of all, that's really humbling. Um, I love prayer and I want prayer. Um, but, but when that's what the prayer meeting's for, that's, you know, and like that's the focus. Um, and people gathered. They asked for permission. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, pray. And then on the Sunday, they asked if they could come down and, and, and everybody come down after the third service and just circle around us and pray. And I said, Okay. So our family gathered down here after third service. This is just a few months ago. And they prayed, and the Spirit of the Lord was touching us. And after prayer, um, one of the ladies said, I, I feel like the Lord gave me a word. Don't you love the gifts? People who think that God doesn't move in the gifts today, I just feel sorry for them because you don't get to see the gifts when you don't want them. She gave a word, and I, I know it's a word from God because it meant something then, and it keeps meaning something as I look back to it. That's, you know, you can test these things and see. She said, I felt like the Lord spoke and said, what is is not what will be. We're going through something for a reason and a purpose. Maybe part of the purpose is for you to know, hey, everybody goes through problems, even Pastor Stan. But maybe part of it is just to say, when I go through it, I got to be like people who trust him because they're the ones who find him in the midst of it. And I'll tell you, we found him and we felt his presence all along the way. 
He never left us once. I never thought he left us once. And in some ways, I'm still going through this. But you know what? I'm, so so he'll, he'll either give you a miracle or he'll, or he'll walk through the fire with you. Jesus is walking through the fire with me, man. I'm growing. I'm becoming more like him. I'm digging in and saying, Lord, you must have some good things ahead. Help me to learn from this. And I want you to know that he, whatever you're going through, I believe in healing. You know, that was the weirdness of it. I would believe for, <clears throat> for healing for others and pray and we would see it. But I pray for my own daughter and it wasn't happening. God and I had some talks about that one. And I, I didn't get healing for myself. Is God good? He is amazing. He's amazing. He's so loving. And he met us. And he's built us. And I've got a feeling that what we've been going through as a family is for the purpose of bringing God more glory in our lives and showing himself in other places. And I don't even think we're, I don't even think we've begun to see some of the things he'll do. And I think it's true for you. He's either gonna heal you or he's gonna walk through that fire with you. You can go through it with God, or you can go through it without God. I recommend with. Because peace can come when it makes no sense. Because hope can arise when, when you shouldn't, in the natural, be hoping. And then, as these guys saw, when you pray, because, hey, when James lost his head, bad. And yet Peter is still delivered. Good. And prayer unleashed that. Let's be people who stay connected to him in prayer. And whatever you're going through, look at this verse, Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid. This is for you in your situation now. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. It's the almighty God of heaven talking to you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And there's the thing, victory. And here's what I think. I know I'm going to get victory. Here, there, or in the air. The devil, he can't win this one. Here, there, or in the air, we will get victory. Death has no sting for the believer. Because we, 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 we will be forever with Jesus Christ where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to die. I have a keen sense of self-preservation. And I, I, I don't want to make you think that I'm close to death because I'm not. This isn't that. But here they are in the air. You can trust them. 